Hello, welcome to the 60th episode of the Chicken Chess Club podcast. Small holiday episode here because there doesn't seem to be that much happening in the chess world. I do know how to make the intro exciting to keep people hooked. My name is Jan Gustafsson. I am back from my travels for a few days back to the basement in Hamburg. And I'm being joined by Peter Heine Nielsen, who is sitting in front of half a green screen there, and Mr. Dodgy filling in for our dear friend Laurent Fressinet, who's very, very busy in the World Cup. Mr. Dodgy, how is life in the Swedish wilderness? It's pretty good. We've had, it's raining very heavily just now, so yeah, we're not having much of a summer, but Laurent is very busy, so I'm wearing my Paris t-shirt to show support as a replacement for Laurent. He's he is the informed player at the World Cup. You know, he's been crushing everything recently. So and he plays Abasov today. So after winning his first two games, very comfortably. What's Abasov's rating? Is Laurent a favorite? I haven't checked his bracket. Very he's around 2600, 2607, I think. Oh, okay. Laurent is kind of a small favorite. Favorite there, and the Loang is the elderly of the two, so the more experienced player. So, uh, sorry, he's 2632, Abasov. So. Okay, right. What's Laurent? They should be similar, no? 2652. 52? Is that high? I keep being shocked. Well, he had this ridiculous run recently, right? He won like 20 points in some league. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, like, he's not even getting all these points he's winning online. He's yeah. don't count for feeder ratings, but he's, you know, crushing Magnus, crushing Kramnik. We are in the presence of greatness here whenever he has an hour to join us every four weeks. To be fair, he left us. So, yeah. His performance rating for this year could be above 2700, or is that too much? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, his performance in the French League thing was like 2750 or so. Mm -hmm. It's the most inspiring improvement at an advanced age story since Rouse's. I'm <clears throat> very, very yeah, happy to see that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess. Should we get next week? Well, I say when he returns next week, but who knows? But when he does return, should we do an adult improver episode where we, you know, ask him for some tips and tricks and what he's been doing to study? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we should by by all means. So, the World Cup is the the only game in town. Everybody, Palas is in Baku, where the big guns are entering the action. I think at the time of recording today, in two, three hours, Magnus will be in action. Hikaru, Karwana, pretty much everybody, except for, of course, our French number one who has decided to skip it. Everybody else seems to be there. Anything to look to look forward to in particular? I'm looking at the brackets. I see Carlson and Keimer are on a collision course. That looks cool. The, the world champion is also not there, I should add. Is he allowed to play? Yeah, Magnus played as world champion, so he yeah, might yeah. be allowed to play. I think, technically speaking, yes. But yeah, they would uh, never have rules that no. stop that. Yeah, Magnus has this bracket where, well, if he wins the first match, he could face Tari. Then he could face Kamo, and then he could face Abdusatsarov. Um, so it's a fun bracket. 
It's a fun bracket. But another fun bracket is um, just to mention a random person, Anish Giri. He could, uh, you know, if he wins the, the, this match, I think he could face Fresine, then Jordan Van Forest, and then Dubov. So basically, Team Carlson would have three sh- shots at him there. Yeah. So, And, well, none of us. So we're actually taking it seriously, I would say. And then he plays <laughs> Carlson in the final? Or? No, Carlson would be semi-final, I think. No, if Giri gets to play uh, Magnus, he's already qualified for the candidates, uh, you could say. So, I mean, that's also... Well, World Cup is a bit of a strange tournament because I think for by far most players, they're not there to win. They're there to qualify for the candidates, which means getting in top three. Or if someone who already qualifies is part of top four, then getting into top four is enough to qualify for the candidates. Maybe I'm reading it wrong, but I don't think so, right? That's what people care about. In the end, but it's also, yeah, it's a moneymaker for, like we talked about, the sort of second class that don't usually play in the super tournaments. And for the top guys, it's also just the only tournament in town, of course, they want to make it to the to the candidates. But there's also money and glory at stake. It's just, I think, a tournament. People no, tend no. to enjoy because if you get kicked out, you can go you can go home. And if you keep going, yeah, then at least it's worth your time. Oh, of course, uh, I mean... I meant, let's say, the, the top 10, 15 players. The, the lower players, I guess, uh, as you say, I mean, well, I once thought my tournament was a great success because I, I qualified for the last 16. It was good for me. But, of course, in, in a sporting sense, compared to others, it, it's not that much. I, and uh, and you're right. For quite some, it's it's a potential money maker. I haven't checked the, the prices. But uh, normally, if you get some round through, it starts becoming rather attractive for, an, so let's say, non-top tier player, right? I don't know the price either. It used to be, I think, you get five thousand for showing up, but you have to pay all your own expenses. Then ten for making the second round, twenty for the third. But don't quote me on it. Like, I'm sure. No, it, I think it's a bit lower than that. I think, I think it's, it's lower than that. To they start at three thousand. But that's also, the like, first, the extra round, or not? Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's true. But yeah, I was on the the Perpetual Chess podcast last week. Congratulations! Thank you, thank you. It was a big big moment for me uh, and we talked we did a world cup preview and uh, one of the things i brought up and ben was too polite to argue with me but i assume you guys won't be is that i think there are just too many candidate spots in this tournament and i think there was too many before i don't think there ever should have been two because it makes the final an anti-climax but i think there's three too many i think there should be no candidate spots and this should be the world cup this should be the knockout world championship I'm not saying it's a bad strategy, but basically your hot takes are just based on my old tweets. So how does it work? I'm, I'm sure I have Maybe. tweeted. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I, I, I haven't read all your old tweets. No, I hope not. But, uh, well, well, you have to qualify for the candidates somehow. But, of course, well, three spots eats up a lot of the spots. And uh, with this one, you are literally just one mistake from, from being out to a certain extent. I... I feel it's a more random event than, than others, but maybe that's a cool way for the qualifying for the candidates. But at least, well, the general consensus at some point was that this was quite a more random way to, to sort of uh, define who the best players is than, than others. But um, I don't know, maybe Jan should also be allowed to say something. I have very strong opinions. I do agree if we're trying to get the strongest candidates field possible, which... I guess is sort of the the intention. Then three spots from the World Cup format is a bit much. I mean, they might get 
lucky in a sporting sense if that's what we want and get some of the strongest players but historically yeah no shots in town at these great players but yeah we've had Khalifman um Kazimchanov Ponomayov and so on winning these events which who weren't considered to be the strongest players in the field which is also yeah it's sports you need to find a winner and it's a a fair system but of course when it comes to classical strength it doesn't always produce the the strongest players coming through I don't know I haven't thought about it too much is also yeah I guess the usual practical options where to give the spots but three sounds sounds a lot I could compromise on on one if you want to have the finals exciting or two and that depends I don't know I just want to see the strongest player so I wouldn't be against a let's say two rating spots in the candidates either but I'm sure everything has its its pros and cons and also a lot depends on if a certain Magnus Carlsen chooses to play or not and so on and so forth so I guess it's an arbitrary discussion and the system they have now to my mind is still somewhat better than I can't even recall how it was in the old days but at least that people know how they can qualify for the candidates and prepare and adjust accordingly yeah, but is is this more random than the World Rapid and Blitz Championships? Is it more random than just a single tournament? Right, because I think that's really where the randomness comes from. I don't think the knockout format is necessarily more random than anything else. I think it's just the randomness that any one tournament can be won by someone who's not the top seed. I thought that it was statistically. I mean, I recall back in, in Kasparov days, I mean, some were arguing that Based on math, Kasparov would have like 30-40% chance of, of winning a knockout uh, world championship like this. And I think I have seen similar figures by for, for Magnus. I guess in World Rapid and Blitz, we, we normally park Magnus in the around 50% category. So at least by, by that, we would say, yes, this one is is more random in, in, a, in a way. But, well, I'd also like to defend it. I mean... Of, of all people, it's actually Magnus who has been arguing for that, uh, well, this should be the world championship. I think he was offering at some point that, well, you can take my title and use it for this. But there was just no one, neither feeding nor players who was supporting that idea. I think we are, I, I don't know how many years we have to go back, but, but quite a lot. But he was actually, to some extent, pushing for it at some point, or at least suggesting. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't agree with that. I don't think it should be the, a replacement for the classical world championship, but I think it should just be the world knockout championship. Like I, th- I think this is much harder to win than the World Rapid and Blitz, and no doubt it's they, the hardest to. Uh... Th- those guys get to call themselves World Champion, but whoever wins this doesn't, which I think is strange because this is a serious event. Like of all the events that Fide runs, this is probably the most marketable to a non-chess audience because it's a straight knockout system and it's it's pretty exciting. The prize money is good in general. The organization is as good as FIDE gets for stuff, I would say. So, yeah, it should be... I think this should just be the Knockout World Championship. I don't know. I, I don't need too many different World Championship titles. But yeah, sorry, uh, what, what are you doing at the end of August? Sorry? What is it you're doing at the end of August? The FIDE World Rapid Team Open Championship with an amateur board. <laughs> Okay, yeah, just checking. Yeah. No, no, it wasn't me who invented that that tournament. <laughs> um, no, it's a bit strange. I I agree, it's a fun event to watch and also very understandable for the public. It's like Wimbledon or any massive uh, tennis tournament. 
But in a way, it's a strange hybrid as well. In Wimbledon, usually, or I'm a big tennis expert, as you will be able to tell, but usually the best players come through. They have a much bigger chance. But in chess, it's a bit like, uh, I don't know, like you played two points, no? And then we decide who wins. While uh, a bunch of tennis sets, the bigger player will have much better chances. You could argue the moves are the individual points and not the games. But you... The tournament is not forgiving you for a week two game stretch while the World Rapid will. And I'm sure whenever Magnus won the World Rapid, there will be two games in a row where he scored half out of two. But here, this could could knock him out of the tournament. So it's in a way, it feels more random, which, yeah, you could argue it's good or bad because it produces more surprises. Uh, I don't know. I, I like to watch it, especially once we get to the final... Even 32, I guess, final 32, final 16, final 8. It's always a, a bunch of fun matches to watch. So it's a, it's, a, it's a great format to follow. Well, I probably agree somewhat with both. I think, well, we have this theme quite often that, well, the perception of the event matters a lot. If uh, I think it would be a gr- very interesting, you know, tournament as a world championship if the players treated it like that. I mean, remember World Rapid and Blitz? At some point, it was, well, everybody would say it's just rapid and blitz and not care. But when they really started caring, it became a very marketable event. And I think it's the same with here, uh, the knockout. But in general, I mean, knockout back in the days, let's say Kasparov was making fun of it, so was Nigel Short and so on and so forth. He was basically got this image of being random and not fully just. And, well, that could be true. But when you start knocking it like that, like we used to do with rapid and blitz, well, of course, you also devalue it in a way. Maybe it makes sense to devalue it because then, well, you sort of appreciate the the classical world championship that, that you have more and there's maybe a limit to how many world championships as, as we do have. But, well, I think it's an interesting event as it is. As Jan said, for players our level, it's a good way to make some money, to make a breakthrough for the best, well, let's say, the second-tier players in the world. It's a good way to qualify for the candidates. They tr- care tremendously about that. And of course, uh, for for Magnus playing, well, Magnus is Magnus. Uh, his motives, uh, well, I've given up uh, deciphering, right? I mean, it's just cool that he plays to some extent, right? So it kind of works the way it, it, it is. But um, I don't know. I'm just blabbering to some extent. But it's a very popular event. I, I think that it, it kind of works. All right, that's that's the World Cup. The big guns entering the action today. And yeah, we have to figure out whom to root for. Like, obviously, we're not rooting. No, obviously, we are rooting for for Laurent. But other than that, mm-hmm. Peter, any any friends of yours in the running there? Well, for a start, I would point out that uh, I'm actually rooting for Laurent, which is. Maybe not the first time in my life, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm generally honestly rooting for Luang. I actually hope he does. Uh, well, I would start being annoyed if he did incredibly well, but uh, no. I mean, it's fun and enjoyable. But of course, there is Jonas Bjerre, a, a Danish player that, at least to my knowledge, doesn't actively dislike me, and I speak nicely with. So I've been rooting for him. He won the the, the first round against a much lower rated player, and today he's facing Gusainov. So that's going to be interesting. And then, of course. Uh, well, like uh, most people, I care about my job and financial interests, so I also root for for Magnus to do quite well. Let's say. Well, he he, I mean, 
Yesterday I sent him a text message saying that I'm going to the cinema and will be offline for a while, but I will work later. So not that serious, but somewhat serious, I take it. Yeah. And also, I think he was playing Title Tuesday. Yeah, I think like good 3 a.m. Like local so time. So yeah. fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the good thing is that the the better Laurent does, the the more we can root against him because he's doing well. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, he does, he doesn't care. He's happy. So you know, if he's in the semifinals and you know we're rooting against him, he'll be quite happy with that. Yeah, but I'm I mean, supporting. No, it's also interesting that he's actually. I mean, well, at some point he started. I think some years ago he started playing much worse, and he's made a tremendous recovery. And uh, I'm a little bit puzzled why, because I don't think there is a massive amount of hard work behind it. But uh, maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. His reach is amazing. He's gone, but we still, we still keep talking yeah, about it. Yeah. nonstop. Yeah, no, there's also so, Peter Swindler as well. He's playing. Yeah, he's, has I, some let's root for Peter. He's done reasonably well in these in the past. Mm-hmm. Well, he got in on a wild card. I think I spoke with him in uh, in Dubai recently, and uh, it was not my impression he was planning on uh, on playing the event. So. Uh, He's just dumped in at the last moment. Or oh, he was bluffing towards me, but could be. But um, no, but... I would say he definitely got dumped in at the last moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think mainly, I mean, well, he has so much talent and class that uh, I'm talking about Svitla, not Laurent now. That uh, he can basically play without any kind of practice and do it very well. I mean, the Sigeman performance was uh, very impressive, right? He actually managed to end ahead of uh, all the young kids, despite. Uh, well, just going there and showing up was my impression, right? Uh, again, I, I expect that Spitler is not training regularly for, for performing well in chess. It's completely untrue. I went there for two days. Both the days I was there, Peter won his games. You know, I helped him prepare for them. And then after that, he just coasted just through every game. So, no, we worked very hard together. Okay. Uh, well, my apologies, but yeah. No, obviously, he has class... Um, as can be seen by his past, he's always been somewhat puzzling to me, but I guess that applies to for guys like us who mainly do clicking on openings and f- find it harder to see the the class and other levels because Peter was never an obsessed opening clicker. He's just he's just good at the game. Father Time is undefeated. His rating went went down a bit as well. He's below. 2700 which of course for Svidler levels who we I guess we're used to see at least around 2730 40 feels low but okay life is not so easy we're rooting for him of course here and he very much has a chance to do well he's also in the bracket of Laurent and Giri no like uh, yeah yeah in that bracket interesting <laughs> so, so who do we think do we think any of the kids are going to break through this tournament and get a candidate spot I had Abdus Satorov in my top three last time we talked, though, so of course I'm still still Team Nodebeck. I, I also predicted Nodebeck to do well until I realized he played Magnus quite early, and now I'm less optimistic. Uh, yeah, that's of course a bit of a problem. Yeah, I mean, he's facing Wei Yi before that, who hasn't been so active recently, but whenever he's been playing, Wei Yi has been pretty impressive, so it could be a big match in the. Sweet 16, whenever it is, up to Sator of Wei Yi, if they both make it there. Mm-hmm. That also means, you think, for instance, Wei Yi will uh, 
he well he would face Ivanchuk before that. You think Ivanchuk? Well, being fifty four is uh, there is a limit to to when you, I mean, Switzerland and Laurent is is in their forties, right? So. I just believe in ratings, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, he's higher rated. He's the favorite, of course. Mm-hmm. A two seven, whatever he is, forty can lose a match to two six fifty, but he is the favorite. <laughs> this well, when you talk about it, it feels like a strong bracket with uh, you know Kamo, Wei Yi, and uh, up to Satorov. Is that sort of well? Is that true, or is it just are all the brackets like like that in in, in a way? I think yeah, I Gokesh, guess has a rating point. Uh, all the brackets are similar. Or no, like I mean, it's just maybe people we know better. If they are older players, they might be more more famous than some of the others. But uh, I would guess they balance it rating wise. No, it would be strange if mm-hmm. they didn't. No, for instance, we were speaking about this uh, Geary bracket, but I think, for instance, well, Dubov and Grishuk is also on collision course with uh, the Geary bracket we mentioned before in round five, right? So. <laughs> Pretty much everybody's on collision course in round yeah, five. Yeah, that's like, how the tournament works. Uh, that's <laughs> kind of at least idea. in the finals there's <laughs> yeah. going to be a collision. Mm-hmm. Fair, fair enough. <clears throat> but also, yeah, well, I, mean, I think Gokesh maybe has a slightly easier route than Noderbeck, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Noderbeck, like Gokesh, will probably play Mamajarov. The round where Noderbeck plays Magnus, so like that's. Yeah, not that Mamajor is going to be easy, but I guess you would rather play him than play Magnus. I would assume so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, when you're a bit lower rated, it becomes like this. There might be, a, I mean, well, you know, yeah, you could f- face number one randomly or number eight. It becomes a minor difference in your, in your rating where you end up like that. I mean, well, I had the, the honor of playing Vichy in round two uh, at some point and well the difference between number one and number eight can be rather massive in terms of rating right it's also an interesting experience and i don't know if up to Sassorov is probably up to Sassorov is so ambitious he would like to qualify for the candidates so probably he thinks magnus is is a annoying obstacle right uh, probably he feels a bit i don't think chase. anybody is very happy to have magnus early no. in their path like it's still in chess even with magnus recent yeah. Mm-hmm. Lack of successes for his standards in classical, I still think there's the Magnus bracket and then the mm-hmm. everybody else uh, bracket, so it's clearly bad news. Yeah. This, he, I agree. He's in your half. Like. Yeah, but also he is never. I think it's it was kind of striking that the top four seats have never got to the final. It might be more than top four, but you know, Magnus, Fabi, Nepo, and Hikaru have never got to the final. It's kind of hard, and you would kind of pick, yeah, all of them. Maybe less so, Fabi, that with like rapid and blitz. Although I know he's won important matches before, um, but you would always kind of, I guess, all four of them you would pick as like good at this format because you know they, if you can't beat them in classical, if they can't win in classical, they're going to be the favorite against most people in rapid, or in blitz, and yeah, it doesn't seem to really work out like that. But but for instance, do we think Nakamura would be a, a beast in in playoffs here? But sometimes there is a difference between you know playing thirty games or just playing two games with the playoff at, at stake. I don't know. And also, well, nerves start becoming a, a huge factor compared to to online chess, where you have so many games. Um, I don't know. I assume Nakamura will be extremely good in playoffs, but um, do you think they'll let him do interviews to his stream in between? Tiebreak games because if they do that, then I think he'll win. Yeah, 
yeah, I don't think we have a lot of indicators that Nakamura would be bad in this format the way he's been great in all the other formats recently. Yeah. Also, I guess attendance matters. I'm not sure how many World Cups Nakamura, Caruana, even Magnus have played together. So maybe they, yeah. they also missed quite a few. Yeah, I thought Hikaru maybe skips some, but I thought Caruana and Nepo usually play at least. Magnus in recent years, I think, is hasn't really skipped one. But let's say of these fours, what do you think is most likely that one of them make the semifinals or two of them make the semifinals? I would probably go for one, but I'm not. Would sure. you pick these four against the field? Are they all in the yeah. same bracket? That also matters for. No, not, no the there's, there's a top four seat. So the top four yeah. will be in different brackets. That's kind of the uh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, maybe you're joking, but uh, I don't yeah, know. But... <laughs> Would you pick them against the field? I would Probably because no. Like if we say Magnus is whatever thirty yeah. um, percent, I'm not giving less than twenty percent to whoever was Hikaru, Fabi, and who was the fourth? Napo. And Nepo, yeah. It sounds sounds like you take them against the field, but I'm not sure by how much. No, that I would do because it includes Magnus. But for two of them yeah, to exactly. qualify for semifinals, I'm I don't know if I would pick that. I probably I wouldn't actually. I mean, also, I, if, I, I would take the field. Yeah, exactly. If Magnus wins, I mean, well, if he doesn't win, he could very likely go out before the the semifinals, right? I mean, if he gets to the semifinals, he starts becoming a pretty big favorite normally. So, so the further he gets, the better for him. Yeah, it's uh, it's like being plus two is better than plus one. I, I but uh, especially in these matches. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Getting a lot of insights on this show. All right, World Cup. It's uh, about to get exciting. Not really exciting yet, but we still managed to talk about it for half an hour. We'll revisit it. It's it's gonna last for the whole month, so should be a lot of action. Yeah. I did Another the. Exciting. I just remembered before we go on that we were talking about Hikaru and Magnus and there was a new in chess interview with Hikaru where he revealed that they might be planning a match between the two of them this year, which I thought was quite interesting. I thought it was an interesting place to leak this match because I'd heard about it before and I'd heard rumours and I expected it to be quite a big thing. But it does sound like they're going to play some serious kind of match for big money which sounds cool yeah sounds good and what's not to like i guess money money and attention will be will be guaranteed so why wouldn't they <laughs> i mean you're almost missing the most exciting part they will play chess 960 i think hikaru mentioned some of the games right oh that's much less exciting yeah, yeah. okay but <laughs> probably still people will watch at least the other games <laughs> yeah yeah no i don't <laughs> No, I'm. I don't know how. I mean, should it happen? How will it pan out in a way? Right? Will it be? Well, again, this thing with perception. Will people think it's amazing, interesting match between the two best players in the world? Or would they say, ah, oh, this is not a world championship match. We don't really care. I mean, compared to a world championship match, what are we talking about in time in terms of interest? Clicks will be pretty good, no, and also the. Average chess fan out there on Twitch or YouTube, I'm not sure how much they grew up with watching the classical world championship matches, how much it matters if it's not just yet. Yeah. Um, 
two of the guys with the biggest reach yeah. <clears throat> out there and the world number one and number two playing each other. I'm, I'm sure they will do well to, to market it. Like, why wouldn't it be huge? <laughs> yeah. Do we think Magnus is still a huge favorite? Depends on the format, how much classical chess are they playing for example it seemed to be that they were talking like uh, flat fast classical or slow rapid so kind of 45 minutes or 60 minutes somewhere around that region also i'm not sure who's favored by the classical chess i was just curious not like magnus has been crushing the world and hikaru did win norway chess there hard to say hikaru's just been so great in all All the formats recently, Magnus has been praising him. He doesn't seem scared by Magnus when they played each other. I mean, I'm so conditioned to Magnus being way above the rest that uh, somehow it doesn't really enter my head. He might, he might not be, but that's why no, I, I guess. I, I agree, the match. I agree. But like one year ago, I picked Magnus 100, like no question. But the recent matches, you know, Hikaru beat him in Speed Chess Championship, then he won Norway Chess. Then he beat him in the Bullet Championship as well. Yeah. These things can't, they add up as well over time. Chess don't lie. And also, yeah, it changes the psychology a bit. So, yeah, I, I have no clue. Like, I'm still still not betting against Magnus in any format other than maybe, yeah, 1-0 Bullet. It seems like we, we have now established and Magnus has said that much that Hikaru is just better. Here, I would still still take Magnus, but very curious. Okay, it's part of my job to start the, the trash talk, but I well, I think Magnus is, is a clear favorite, no doubt. I mean, that's how it is. I mean, of course, we can go back to the jokes that uh, Magnus is the favorite, but uh, his opponent has a, has a chance from the last World Championship. But to ask you, well, you think Hikaru has a much better chance than, for instance, Nepomian she had in the match? That's from what I take from you, you'll say I, yes. Uh, 100%, yeah. Like, wait. I, mean, I, still, I still, I'm not totally unobjective like i think magnus is still the favorite but i think like i don't think hikaru is intimidated by magnus at all anymore and i think probably he was like if you lose 13-1 to a guy in classical chess you're probably if you're not a little bit intimidated then you maybe don't have the right attitude <laughs> but i think at this point he doesn't seem that concerned about magnus and he knows he can beat him so you know it's slower games and i think the slower games still lean more towards magnus i think hikaru is just freakish and fast chesses but yeah i think this is this will be much closer than against netball and i think there's a chance that hikaru could win whereas i didn't really see netball being magnus in the match how serious do you think they will take it i mean world championship level or they will just show up or i think they take it serious for how they take things serious but probably doesn't mean Well, we would think it means month of preparation of random openings. No, I guess, especially when they play each other, they feel a bit more opening independent. They won't try to get zero thirty or zeros or whatever. Mm -hmm. Could be, could be the goal. They'll just play some stuff, but for their standards, they'll take it very serious. No, they. <laughs> also, as I remember, the match was uh, sort of uh, mentioned for end of the year, or how was it, uh, Mister Dodger? I don't know. I didn't oh, no, but see I, the uh, when it was. It was I thought it was going to happen this year, but <laughs> yeah, I'm not sh not totally sure. I think yeah, towards the end of the year, maybe. But then there's there are clashes in you know with Sinkfield Cup, and then it's like oh, the I, I was about to say that compared to World Championship prep, uh, 
one is already late, but of course Dink set completely new standards there. So maybe maybe both players will just do it Dink style and uh, gather. Where's Ding team. at, by the way? What's Ding doing? Is he still <clears throat> I don't know, sitting on a on an island somewhere with a mojito enjoying his, his title? What's he up to? I thought that, I thought you were hanging out with him in Thailand. I thought that's yeah. I was reaching out, but uh, just like before the match, he's just ignoring me. <laughs> Would you tell us if if you were actually hanging out with him? For sure. That'd okay. be it'd be all over my Instagram. <laughs> but you are basically saying there is zero chance that uh, Ding is just, you know, enjoying celebrity life, uh, hanging out at the beaches, you know, being cool, world champion? I'd, uh, I'd like that to be the case. Uh, I don't know Ding that well. I can't quite picture it, but I, I would think no. it would be cool. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when do we get to start making fun of him? Like we make fun of Alariza for never playing chess. Like, how long nah. do we give Ding to recover? He has a while. He has a while. He played yeah. the match and he also played the Grand uh, whatever Grand Chess Tour right after. Nah, he gets a couple months off if he wants them. Yeah, he's had like three now. When does yeah, he play that's, again? That's still fine. Does it? Do you think he'll play this year? Also, in his defense, he never played before the match either, so it's not like no. it changed. Mm-hmm. Is there, I mean, is there any percent probability that he will just do like Fisher and never play again? He talked about retiring, had he lost the match, but then after winning, he said, now he'll stick around for a couple of years. No, he even, he even had some, some numbers in there, if I recall correctly, like three, four years. But... I don't know. I don't know what Ding is up to. He's a fascinating character, but I don't think we know him well enough, frankly. No. I guess it's, it's a different thing, like, in terms of motivation. Like, Magnus became world champion pretty young, and so did Kasparov. And, you know, when you're young, you are just naturally more motivated. But Ding's already 30. Like, is he super motivated to, you know, establish some kind of chess dynasty and become the greatest of all time over the next 10 years? Like, probably not. He did mention somewhere he wants to be the best chess player in the world, not quote unquote just world world champion. But yeah, I don't know. Also, he's been hanging out a lot with Richard Rapport. And whenever I was talking to Richard Rapport, he says, "Yeah, chess is terrible. I'm, I need a nice half year break right after this Bundesliga match or whatever." And maybe, maybe he convinced Ding that's the way. Yeah, maybe we he don't know. Him. He was motivating himself like this. If I win this match, okay, I get a year off or something like this. And that kept him going and working out. I don't know. But no, it's... Well, I think we have some ideas of what Ding's character is, but we have no knowledge. While I'm... Everyone else in top 10, I guess we think we feel much better what goes on in their mind, right? Yeah, I guess you could chalk it up to... To some extent, language barrier, although he does speak decent, decent English, but I guess... People or us at least have just talked to him. Less no, than others. I'm very friendly with him. I even spent a camp uh, with him, Magnus and uh, Laurent, excellent company. And no, we were very friendly and talked, but I don't call any kind of uh, personal emotions or something like this. I, I mean, I think probably language barrier is some kind of hindrance there, right? It's, it's easy to talk about chess, but somehow to start asking how do you feel or how's life going and stuff like this. I don't have any recollection of Yeah, I don't know. I don't spend much time with him. I think this perception that he doesn't have emotions, it's hard to uphold. He's shown us plenty, even during the World Championship match, but also before, during games, you can see 
as emotions depending on how he's doing and he he had all this talk about being depressed and you could see his mood changing during the match but yeah i just don't have a good read on him because i don't know him very well just seems like a friendly slightly introvert humble guy who now the rest of the random world will say you're chess world champion do cool stuff well maybe he just wants to keep being himself which is fairly legit (laughs) I mean, world champions try to tend to try and monetize it. Well, of course, they get a huge prize for, for winning it. But, uh, I mean, it's not like we think Dink Chess is going to be the new Magnus Chess or something like that, right? And uh, it also, just doesn't strike me as the, the way he, he does things. But what do I know? Yeah. Also from, I'm assuming he's uh, more or less set for life. It's also a yeah. debate or... Not that much a debate, but I think they changed it recently how much of their price money and appearance fees and so on Chinese players get to, get to keep. But I think that has changed recently in favor of the players. And I also heard, yeah, that Ding, even before the match, said he was, yeah, he was fine. So it's not about the money. I'm not sure what what motivates him. I think he just likes likes chess and likes to do well, which is fair enough. Mm-hmm. We'll see what comes on the stretch. We don't know, basically. Sorry, Ding. We're still fans. Yeah, well, he... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, he's still in the Grand Chess Tour, right? So he should, in theory, appear in Singlefield Cup? or I would think yeah, so. I think least... everybody plays both of the yeah. classical ones. Yeah, yeah I think uh, he's still part of it, so he should be playing there. But I think that's actually the next event, and that's not until the end of November this year. Well, yeah. It's later than usual. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe he could play the Grand Swiss, but it doesn't seem... I mean... So you know, there, was some, there was some list of participants published, right? But I don't know if it's a final oh, no, one. Yeah, I, I guess he wasn't on it then. Yeah, people would have said. Mm-hmm. So Grand Swiss, a giant open. There really the main point seems to be trying to get into the the candidates. No, I mean, that would be a strange choice for him to play. But... Mm-hmm. Magnus has played before, though, right? So yeah, but he's Magnus. He does random things. <laughs> mm-hmm. I yeah, I think uh, that that would be strange for Ding. Also, well, I, again, we don't know him, but I would assume with his uh, new status, he will be a bit more scared in the sense of well, thinking, okay, should I go and play an open tournament and end up number twenty? It will just devalue my title. Yeah, that's fair. playing Singlefield Cup, I can see, but um, well. I would assume he will start feeling the, the the pressure that all world champions has done, and he will start. Uh, well, he can only go backwards from here. Now suddenly, I'm the world champion. Whenever I end up in the middle of the field, it will be looked at and you know moderately mocked. Uh, no, it must be a difficult. I mean, of course, it's a very pleasant situation overall for him, but of course, it must be difficult in in, in some sense. I think. Uh, well, at some point, uh, Vichy, when he became world champion, I think he he. He told me that, of course, it's something we all want, but I mean, don't get it wrong. It also, well, you know, it's also complicated in some way. I mean, there's actually no need to feel pity for world champions. It's uh, something very nice, but that it doesn't come with uh, complications is probably one one should should remember. I think. Yeah, it's all about the journey, not the destination. Stay in Goa or wherever you are for a while, Ding. It's fine. We'll keep yeah. talking nonsense. Yeah. You enjoy yeah. life. Well, to be honest, you're just jealous, right? I mean, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> it wouldn't be. Yeah. What else is on our exciting list? Not much. I've been trying to master Connect Four. I think that's the most important topic 
in my life. It's a difficult game where you have to get four in a row, diagonally, horizontally, or vertically. White to move, or I guess it's red to move, wins with perfect play. But a lot of options, a lot of options. So I'm, I'm not great yet, but I'll get there. I'll get there. I've studied theory. The best move is to put your first stone in the middle. Not very surprisingly. But after that, it becomes quite complicated. So. I thought that, I mean, is it that complicated from what I read? Is that, well, you really have to understand the concept of odd-even threats and you have to create Zugzwangs. And then it was not that difficult. But you're saying that it's still a very complicated game. You don't think there's any humans who can play it easily, perfectly, for instance? No, I think it's doable, but not in a couple hours like I've been. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to... I'm not sure what's what's a realistic goal if you could become perfect in a month, let's say. I would guess probably, yes, I can't do math, so there's probably a bunch of options. And often it's the logical move, like I've been practicing with this Connect 4 solver. But quite often to me, the move also doesn't make a lot of sense. At first sight, that's the only winning move. So it's it's a tricky game, but yeah, that's... That's how I spent my time. I'm gonna admit to to cheating online here, but in my well, youth is a bit strong because uh, I'm saying I was playing Magnus. But at some point, I was playing Connect for online with Magnus, and I downloaded this solver, and I did exactly what you were talking about. That I played a move that I could see was winning according to table basis, but looked the most stupid. And there was a lot of stupid moves that was actually winning. At least they looked stupid uh, to me yeah. in, in, in a way. So it is, it's not that simple. Uh, no, more often you know. than not, you're not working directly to building your three mm-hmm. in a row or whatever. But yeah, yeah there's some some forward thinking involved. But yeah, I, I, will, I will keep you posted. And I, I think at try. some point I was uh, speaking with some of these, well guys from, uh, from from Alpha Zero, and I was suggesting, you know, to all, well, what happens if you build a neural network for a game like uh, Connect4 that is actually solvable in a tactical way? Can you get them to... Un- I mean, Alpha Zero is sort of more positional than based on ideas, but if it's such a tactical game, will it be able to play it perfectly? I think they moved on to more... You know, isn't that incredibly trivial? Like, uh, I'm an idiot, maybe. but I would assume that, yeah, with trial and error... Any whatever neural network can figure I, I, out Connect Four instantly. No, can't you just calculate it? Like, I mean, it is still there's still quite a lot of possibilities. But I would assume so. Maybe a game like Checkers would be a better way to test because that's also solved. But of course, the numbers are quite uh, bigger in a way. But you say, yeah. But I thought that Alpha Zero was learning things still based on some kind of general principles, and if they don't really exists but it's just calculation i don't know how they managed to master it uh, in a way uh, but uh, that sounds very trivial i would assume so yeah, computing yeah. power you would need i would think any half capable programmer can build something that plays connect for perfectly oh, no, some, somebody has ha, has tried to to build uh, neural networks doing it but uh, the two minutes i researched before this episode i didn't manage to get a conclusive uh, answer to that but uh, no i've just understood how jan feels during the fide segment it's it's very interesting, right? It's rough. No? Okay. No, I think... Uh, games are interesting, but also... Well, Jan mentioned that, of course, putting it in the center is is correct, but that's also my, my chess understanding. But when I started playing Shogi, and uh, I started getting interesting in Go, 
these games center doesn't matter at all, basically, or not to the extent we think. So, I mean, we have also built up this idea that center should matter because it's logical in chess. It might not actually be the case, but maybe now Mr. Dutty thinks it gets too weird, or that's long that, that ship sailed long ago. No, I think Shogi and Go are a bit more interesting than okay. Connect Four. Yeah, well, connect Four would would be weird if the center didn't matter, no? Because you can build no, more rows from the center than you can build from the edge of the board. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very often it's not the the central move that wins. Anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> there is a, yeah, what else can we talk about? What, what are they doing about uh, rating deflation? Everybody gets free rating points, but not us, basically. So we would have to play to profit, but then our lack of strength would show. I, I didn't really understand the system. Dodgy explained it earlier, but I didn't really listen. Yep, that's that makes sense. Um, so they're adding rating points. So first, the first thing they're doing is the current uh, floor for feeder ratings is 1,000, and they're raising that to 1,400. So basically everyone with a feeder rating below 1,400 gets raised to 1,400, or slightly higher. And then everyone between that range and 2,000 gets up to 400 rating points. You know, The higher they are, the less points they get. So if your rating is 1,010 right now, you're 1,400 next list? I think it'll be 1,410. Wow. Yes. That's and a then big if jump. your rating is 1,600, you get 160 points. You know, if you're higher, you get less. If you're lower, you get more. So Magnus will be 3,240 or whatever he is. No, because he is over oh, okay. Unfortunately, oh, okay. that's works. Adding 400 to everybody. I was going to become a 3,000 player finally. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how these things work out in a maths way. But it feels like, you know, there should be some trickle-up effect that makes up for this, and then, you know, everyone that plays chess... But someone smart thought about this, no? Because the way the system was, everybody was losing ratings slowly, which, yeah, can't have been been perfect. Was everyone losing ratings? Let me praise Feeder. I mean, for a rare thing. They actually brought in Jeff Sonas for this, so that that they deserve praise for. He's sort of... Wow, clip it. Huge, uh, yeah, yeah, he's a huge uh, rating expert, and uh, well, he was the one doing historical ratings that, for instance, me and Jan was using in our wildly successful video series on the uh, top fifty in the world and and, and, and uh, historically and such. Uh, he's generally a, a very <laughs> that was the title: top fifty in the world historically and such. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, I, well, <laughs> if I had, if I would to to pronounce it, it would have been, but uh, yeah. But no, he he's good. Um, Generally, I think people underestimate how good the ELO system actually is and that compared to other sports, we have a very stable and good rating, in my opinion. But of course, these things um, had to be addressed. I think the main sort of trigger is uh, young Indian players, right? Or am I getting it wrong? I think that's a big part of it. I think there is... I mean, there was a recent uh, tournament where... Let me just check what the name was of this girl. Oh, I closed the tab. But there's an Indian girl where it's, you know, somewhere around the region of 2000, and she had a 2600 performance. She was the lowest rated player in the in an Open, mm-hmm. and she came second. I can so, give an example from Danish chess that uh, for, for quite some years, probably still the case, it was very obvious that all our juniors players would lose a bunch of rating, and I really mean a bunch, when they played World Youth Events. 
while our senior players would win a bunch. And my feeling is that... Why were your senior players playing World Youth events? No, they were play, that, that makes the, sense that they were just beating up kids. Yeah, they were, no, they would play se- World Senior well, events and then they would win a lot. And my best guess is that well, Danish ratings is quite up, uh, sort of upgraded. So the 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 kids have enough tournaments to play, and so do the seniors. So the Danish kids has already won the rating that other countries junior players has not. So when they get to this youth event, they will get slaughtered. And vice versa. When Danish seniors will also have their ratings corrected down, which other countries have not, and then they would win a lot like this. At least that's my my theory. But uh, I mean, well, when sort of Indian players comes, they have only played Indian events with uh, where their rated is is deflated. I mean, they they come and they slaughter and take everybody's rating points, and of course that becomes very unpopular. I guess. Tell yeah, you. my feeling is I would also do better against German. And Swiss retirees in some resort paying to play the world <coughs> senior mm-hmm. championship then against eleven year old Indian Chinese uh, Indonesian wh- wherever they're from <laughs> talents but yeah it could it could make sense that the Western ratings are more whatever established because they used to be more rated tournaments I'm not sure how much that holds up nowadays I'm sure there's a ton of tournaments going on. In mm-hmm. India and wherever else as well, but yeah, the, your theory, yeah, sounds logical. It, to me. it does seem to be a strange quirk that they're playing some FIDE rated games because then they have a rating. But because if they were coming to Europe and without a rating, then they would just start off with a very high but probably accurate rating. But they seem to be playing like maybe one or two tournaments at a young age, and then they play a bunch of. I mean, I assume what's happening is they're playing a bunch of tournaments in India that are, you know nationally rated but not feeder rated so they're getting the experience of playing classical games because i don't think it's realistic like if a 1900 scores a grandmaster norm like that's not a 1900 player and i don't think this kind of thing was really happening like uh, maybe 10 15 years ago like no, this well, so you can get so much stronger online nowadays no i mean you can play against good competition very much non-stop which I guess you could 10, 15 years ago, but maybe it was just less common before the chess boom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know. could definitely play. But you, yeah, you've been able to play against pretty strong players online for quite a long yeah, time. Yeah, this is more. At least 20 years, yeah, yeah. 25 years easily. Magnus was doing it in his youth, so yeah. But yeah, it does, there does seem to be some problems with it. I don't, I don't know if this will stop uh, higher rated players. I mean, I, I spoke to some friends about it and they, who are much right. more active players than me, and they seem to think that this measure, these measures, don't go far enough. Um, but also, I mean, if the guy is nineteen hundred and plays a grandmaster level, what are you going to do, right? I mean, well, it has to be corrected when he enters right, the, the girl, system. The girl. First, so my my apologies. Also, then. Hashtag women in chess. No, she won't be nineteen hundred forever and so on. I thought I had the feeling once again, not a mathematician, that the system was just broken since you stopped getting these, whatever it was, 0.8 for beating a player much lower lower rated, or you only got it once per tournament, then especially if an open open goes badly, it becomes a free roll for your opponents where you can only get zeros by beating lower rated players or lose a bunch of rating, which is not, not ideal. But yeah, I'm not sure if they fixed that. To my mind, the system before that looked more... More accurate and from a 
whatever, 18-2600 perspective, if the opponents are counted as whatever, 1400s or 1000s, doesn't make a lot of difference as long as they don't change this, that you do get zero points against. I, I think it was 400 was... points overrated. No, I mean, like. Yeah, I think that was part of the suggestions as well. Yeah, because if every game I play against a 22-30, let's say, I get zero points for winning and lose 10 for losing, it's, it's not going to be great for my rating. Yeah, and I mean, that's quite a big chunk of like open tournament games. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> pretty much open tournament games. And of course, you're supposed to be a massive favorite and you're supposed to lose rating if you can't prove that. But the plus zero and minus ten does not reflect, I think, real life open open results. Like <laughs> no, but I thought these things. I mean, well, if a twenty one hundred player was just a twenty one hundred players, I mean, you, you it should be possible to calculate that we have so many games historically between a twenty one hundred player and a twenty six hundred player. So we could we could calculate what is the reasonable expected score. The problem is that some players are there who has uh, well. The rating just doesn't reflect their strength strength uh, level. I mean, and there's uh, too many of, of these, and I guess yeah, that, that, that becomes a big problem, right? Uh, that adds to it. Like if we say the ratings are established, whatever, as a twenty six, whatever, I'm twenty. I'm supposed to score. I don't know what the right score is. Nine and a half out of ten against a twenty one hundred. Then, then you you could build the system that way. I guess it's also tricky because I would guess the higher you go. Um, the harder it is to have these massive scores. I could be wrong about that, but I would assume yeah. a 1600 is probably supposed to completely beat up an 1100, while mm -hmm. if a 2700 plays a 2300, the level is so high, the 2300 with white. I mean, it's hard for hard to beat them every game. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I'm just saying that for that, we should have enough statistical mat uh, sort of material to... To, to check out what is a reasonable expected score. And as you said, they could be different. I thought that yeah, that's the idea of this uh, K factor is that, um, well, it becomes a bit, uh, well, you can sort of compensate for that. But I think the biggest problem is that when, when players enter with a completely wrong rating, I mean, also at some point, maybe it's less of a problem now, but this idea, of, for instance, of playing the Chinese league, well, could be interesting. From a rating perspective, it could be completely hopeless. You could see some local players with 2300 who were playing incredibly well was my impression and, uh, yeah i mean there was i don't know if it was in the oh yeah, it's in the document uh the jeff sonnens has published and the relationship between elo rating predicted score and actual score has been dropping uh, mm -hmm. in like every three-year period yeah to the point where it's now yeah somewhere like 10 percent lower depending mm -hmm. on where what the rating gap is but oh, it's basically consistently people have been underperforming. So it does yeah. seem like there is a pretty big problem there. No, but also in a way it's uh, logical if we have a chess boom and many more young players come in. I mean, young players have always been underrated and old players like us have always been overrated. So, of course, it's natural that the, the old lose some rating to the youth, but if you have an unprecedented boom of young players coming in, also now with the pandemic, you could argue they had two years of training, which wasn't really reflected by the rating because they didn't get the chance to play so much. Then, of course, the system will be exaggerated and feed a changing 
what used to be the system that you didn't get the 0.8, whatever it was for beating someone 400 points lower rated anymore, um, overpronounced that, I guess, by a lot. So I'm curious how it's going to play out. It doesn't seem like it's been a big factor. The top 100 is still very much the usual guys and the young talents that are young talents still very much made it up there. But yeah, the system, it looked like there was some fixing to be done. And we'll, it might we'll also, it's a good sign, right? It, doesn't mean, it means we're not all getting worse at chess. Yeah, well, we are just slowly. <laughs> it might also be an impossible problem to actually solve in a, in, in a clean way, simply. I mean, all the new players entering. I mean, well, when new players entering, well, we have to estimate their rating. And, um, well, in the old days, you would only get a rating when you were quite a skilled chess player. So you will have some uh, phase first where you improve, and then you will get an ELO rating. Now you basically get an ELO rating immediately, right? I mean, that will make it more random in a way. And, uh, well, no, it's rare that I will defend FIDE, but I think it's it's probably not a problem you can solve easily and elegantly. And it's very interesting that you say that ELO has become apparently much worse at predicting the result. I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, there was a com- uh, sort of computing competition to create the rating system that would best predict uh, a million game database, something like that. And ELO was doing very well, which means that, well, ELO is generally a very robust and good system, but perhaps it's not. it's too difficult to cope with this new, new challenges. And uh, it might yeah. just be impossible. Well, this, these problems seem, the, the data that in Jeff Sonis's paper uh, starts at 2008 to 2012, and even then, uh, the actual score was about 5% lower than the expected score. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kind of at the biggest gaps. In smaller gaps, it was actually, in like, you know, plus 300, plus 400, it was actually about 10%. Mm-hmm. So it does seem to be something that's been going on for you know fifteen years now. So it's definitely accelerating. Like the most recent data, there's a significant gap. Yeah. I don't know how it worked for players, but for instance, when I got to twenty seven hundred for an extreme brief moment, it was clear that I won all my ratings against lower rated player. When I played someone with a similar rating, I would generally lose that, which at least to me indicated, well, there was something wrong with the rating system, or perhaps there was something wrong with me. But it was clear that. I mean, I was better at performing against certain players than others compared to performance rating. And well, that could still be the true, but it could also be very individual in a way. I, I, I don't yeah. know exactly. I, I think that's quite a normal thing for mm-hmm. when people are improving. Like, most of the juniors seem to kind of race to 2700 and then hang around there for a bit while they adjust to the new players because, like, you don't get to 2700 by taking draws from Magnus, you get there by beating up low rate players. But then, you know, once you're there, you're going to have to play Magnus and the rest of them. And that's, yeah, it's a bit of a different game, I guess. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, well, okay, like us, when we were sort of decent players, if you're white against, let's say, 2,500, that's a massive uh, <laughs> rating maker for you, no? But if you're, if you're playing against 2,700s or 27 plus, normally you would lose some rating. The difference in. Strength, it feels like, is not shown enough by the rating system, but I guess that applies to these effects apply to at every level for in some way and it balances itself out. No? But that's I, I, I think it's like, maybe a little bit bigger at the top level because yeah. like the 2700 guys have their own kind of mini 
circuit, their kind of bubble where they mostly play against the same tournaments. Whereas at the lower levels, everybody's more or less yeah. in the same open. So like, if you're playing in an open, you can, even if you're 2000, you, if you win enough games, you're going to play against the top players in that open. I think it's also the argument that if the slightly weaker players only had a chance to play with the top players, then they would also be at their level. Well, personal experience has always been top players are just so much better. So the few occasions you get to play against them, you see what what level they are at. No? Yeah, it could yeah, be. I, that. I, don't, I, don't, I, think I don't think they're necessarily overrated with that level, but I think there's an experience thing that the younger players, you know, they have to kind of fight through it to actually get the experience to play those guys. I think it's just strength. Also, openings, like when you did your rise with the classical Sicilian, I mean, you won't have that much fun playing the classical Sicilian in Norway Chess or Sinkerfield Cup or wherever. So often you'd also have to change your your style completely, which is logical because you don't want to play the Berlin in opens against 2400s or the Petrov. Um, but yeah, you might have to against these guys and it also requires a different set of skills and prep and so on. I know it's complicated. It's a different game, but yeah, from personal experience, it's not like, yeah, you can just cash in by drawing higher rated players and win rating that way. Of course, it's been done once in a while, but it's not the typical way. <laughs> My general feeling is also that chess players are rational. So players like me and Gusti, we found out that, well, for us to gain rating, we, that's something we could do. We could beat lower-rated players. That's actually possible. While I agree with Jan that the main problem with uh, players higher-rated than us is that they're better than us. I, I I don't think that we could have done something very differently and uh, competed against them. They were just better. And, well, this idea that you have to play them to... Um, I don't know. I mean, also, well, let's say compare, well, Giri and um, someone else. I mean... Well, this someone else could be better at beating weaker players than Geary, but Geary would probably make quite better results against the top 10 in the world. I'm not trying to mock Geary, just giving uh, an example. And who is the better player? Well, probably the one who can do better against the top 10, I would say. I mean, when you have to compete for being the best player in the world, that's the guys you're playing at. I don't think that the ability to beat, let's say, people out of the top 20 is a very relevant factor there. No, if the question is who's the favorite in a match, it will usually be the top 10 guy, even exactly. if somebody else scores much better against 2,500. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. No, but, well, exactly. That's a much better way of framing it. But when they would play, we would always take the one that sort of belongs to this top tier, right? I mean, if it's about winning some kind of uh, event, maybe you would say Gukesh and Abdusatar has just as good chances as Giri. But in a match, you would pick Giri in these pairings, I assume, right? Well, these guys are tough questions because they're yeah. pretty much borderline top players who, up to Satoru, have almost won Vikanze, Gukesh. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, no, no, but also I took an example to like make they it... show they can have plus scores against these guys, but yeah. Mm -hmm. like... Oh, um, this, well, these examples is a much closer pairing than taking someone who is uh, well, less less strong, but you would probably still, I mean, if you could only choose one of them, you would take Giri, I think, right? I guess I go I mean, with, probably... with rating, or you could yeah. go with rating performance <laughs> and right. so on. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess what's Geary two seven sixty, the others are two seven forty. So there's still a small gap, but it's tiny, really. I mean, like, mm -hmm. yeah. But I guess like before this year, you're probably going to pick Geary comfortably against either of them. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm a big yeah. fan of Abdusatora. Also, then it comes down to the to the format and so on and so forth. But yeah, yeah. Usually, I you pick the higher rated player. <laughs> that's yeah. 
but again, that also shows that I mean, despite there should be correction in the rating systems. You, I mean, we really, really believe in the rating system, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. especially with top ten players playing other top ten players, they won't be as affected by it. I mean, the average rating there in the top ten, I guess, also went down. A bit, if we look at everybody, they used to be, whatever, 30 points higher rated on average, but it's still the same guys, right? It's not like... But also, I mean, talking about qualification for the candidates, we think there should be qualification for candidates because everybody should have a chance, and it is a sport. But taking the top eight rated players against the eight who qualifies for the candidates, well, you will always pick the top eight, right? You will think that rating is still a better indicator who is the best player than uh, qualification events. Yeah. Yeah. Also, if you pick whatever, I'm German national coach. Um, if you pick the national team, you always go by rating and not by who won the German championship or the German masters or whatever. No, you don't take the top five finishers in one tournament. You look at the ratings. No, of course, you have some other criteria, activity, youth, rating performance. But that's always a stronger factor than the results of one tournament, as they should be. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be totally fine with uh, the top, the candidates being chosen by rating, with as long as there's an activity uh, element, and maybe you give bonus points for being more acti- active. You give an extra point for every game you play, like something like that. I would be fine with that. Well, it's, <laughs> that sounds like opening another can of worms, yeah. the extra point for every game you play. But <laughs> yeah, thing well, might more, come out of more chess is better. More chess yeah. is better. So. I mean, well, no, sports should qualify by some tournaments. That's the fun of it, in in a way, I think. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, I think we're just well, doing a decent job of filling out time in this episode. But, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. That is the point of podcasting. Anything else happened? Peter, you saw Oppenheimer? I did, yeah. Like it? I li- yeah, yeah. I saw it uh, last evening together with my... My wife and I thought it was a very in, well interesting, informative movie. They think kind of things where you start uh, googling for information afterwards. But mainly, well, I thought it was quite gripping and uh, and uh, interesting and well done in, in a way. So, well, that felt um, no. I think Danish Grandmaster Lars Shandov once sort of told me that maybe it was about a, a concert rather than a movie. But sort of the definition is a, of a good concert slash movies is that. You actually don't think about uh, opening problems uh, during during the movie, and that I didn't. So, and that that is it's no, you can laugh. Or... I know it's tough for you during your daily eight hours of golf, but yeah. it's good no, that no. you can relax once in a while. I, but I even don't think I had this urge to sort of uh, open my phone and tweet or something like that. No, I actually thought it was uh, gripping from from start to finish. So, it's very recommendable. I thought. Yeah, I agree. I also liked it. A small nap in the middle because it's three hours. But uh, I mean, I might have missed okay. some conversations. But whenever I was awake, I thought it was excellent. Yeah. Okay. Fair what enough. about you, Mister Dotti? I haven't seen it yet. I I couldn't convince my wife to go see it. Have you seen and Barbie? I, no, I also asked her if she wanted to go see Barbie, and her response was, "How long is it?" So I thought if she's going to ask that, then we're not seeing Oppenheimer. Every movie is three freaking hours nowadays. Even Mission Impossible was three hours. Like I mean, or maybe two and a half. I'm still technically curious. What is the cutoff for her? Sort of one forty would be okay for Barbie, but two fifty, and that's just not happening. Or yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like if it's a nonsense movie, it has to be less than ninety minutes. So <laughs> not how it works. Good luck finding any movie. Under two really? hours twenty. I, I don't. I, I enjoy nonsense, but like Guardians of the Galaxy being like two and a half hours is just that was also two and a half hours. Yeah, it's, yeah. And the same happened like movie. in every Marvel movie. Like yeah, third act we get the big CGI fight. I mean, it's so it's, it's just too long. 
But I was but, but but it was worth it. I mean, he was using the the time well and actually wanna wanna rewatch it. I thought it was excellent. I mean, there was no moment where you thought, okay, now there's just keeping it going or something like this. I mean, there's oh, new the info. Third hour has a lot of critics. They say the third hour with without spoiling too much, but yeah, the sort of trial not trial people felt like that didn't keep up the excitement of uh, the first two hours. But yeah, no, I thought it was all gripping. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right, more chess content here. In my 1,000 games match against Etienne Gardet, where I'm trying to prove that a grandmaster, even an aging grandmaster, will probably beat a beginner 1,000 times in a row. I've managed to do it 37 times now in another fascinating science experience. <laughs> a science experiment. So only what? I can't do math. 963 games to go. Doing great. Doing great. Is he improving or? Very slowly. But I guess there's also the point of the 1,000 games match. It really depends what openings I play. If I play E4, E5 and sort of allow to get the pieces out with some some Italian or Spanish and so on, then we can have a sort of normal normal game. But if I... If I change anything and create tension early on, then yeah, it's gonna get get nasty, which is also understandable. Like, I mean, you get more used to certain structures. We've spent a bunch of games um, in one d4 where, yeah, I told him to go d5 e6, and I have six bishop e7 castles and recapture on d5 with a pawn. And yeah, until that, which sounds trivial to us, but if you're new to chess, it's not I so mean, easy for it to sink in. I mean, Laurent using our World Championship prep uh, in the it's okay, but sort of uh, for this video series, maybe it's a bit much. No, no, but I'm saying as a beginner, <laughs> yeah. that's if against because yeah, yeah. against one d four, like we're not aware of the problems. But most of the games, I think, from beginners, if, once they know the basics, occupy the center, bring the knights out. It very often goes d four, d five, c four, knight f six, and, and they were c d five, knight d five, and I've had a bunch of games like that, and you really gotta emphasize. I always been curious. Angle. You think that they are trying to play complicated chess to invent stuff themselves, or they just don't have any grasp for sort of basic principles? It's probably the latter. I think yeah? both. I think mm-hmm. there's no grasp, and also they don't believe you initially. Like they have to, yeah, figure it mm-hmm. out a bit for themselves. But d4, d5, c4, knight f6, I think it's just lack of knowledge. Like they know d4, you're supposed to occupy the center, so you go d5, c4. And they feel DC4 looks risky, also gives up the center. So you're supposed to develop pieces, not have six useful. I think it comes more natural to beginners than E6 or C6. Which... But it's true. E6 and C6 looks like half moves. And we understand that we are covering our center and such. But that's actually maybe not very intuitive in a way, right? So, no, yeah. so you got to learn the lesson and uh, yeah, be told after CD5. Now, yeah, now you only have one pawn in the center. I, I think that's, it, that's so. one of the most common opening mistakes from... I, I face it in Lee Chess maybe once a week against... You no, know, D4, D5, C4, Knight F6 is incredibly common. Like in every simul, I have it a bunch of times. So yeah, yeah. Uh, you take and go Knight F3 or you go E4? No, I take and go Knight F3. I'm a, I'm a purist. Not allowing Knight F6, Knight C3, E5. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Good. The first game I went takes an E4 just to show I can take the center, but then when it repeated it, I, t- I did go takes Knight F3. <laughs> So hang on, how is it? Takes, takes, e4, knight f6, you can play e5, knight d5, bishop c4, right? No. Yeah, then you're back to qga, but that's not using. No. 
Maybe not using EV. <laughs> using anyway. chances optimally. <laughs> I hope not. No. No. no I think not. it's a good idea for content. I think a thousand game matches. I think this is the future of chess. I think we should have more of these. Probably I should also play a thousand games match against Stockfish just so that I get crushed every yeah, game. I that. that I would. There's no watch. way you get through that. <laughs> Sounds rough. You'll give up before he gives up. I guarantee that. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I can break him in a couple of games whenever I want to. <laughs> just start blitzing moves, change openings. And, yeah. yeah. You might, I mean, break it. You will never win that much we agree on, right? Oh, no, I didn't mean Stockfish. I mean, I could break break Etienne if I just... Because so far I'm being nice. I'm playing mainstream openings and I'm explaining. But once I start pre-moving and playing playing more annoying openings, I think I could take the fun out of it. But you're actually saying that this would be... Uh popular concept i mean also you're not getting enough credit you are basically the one inventing bandit chess right i don't know I, I like to take credit for stuff but i guess i have to do something at some point to take credit for new stuff okay. uh, yeah yeah being no, rude I like, I like it i think it's i also think but i'm not sure maybe i shouldn't say on the record i think i invented this engine bar everybody's using but i'm not sure about it so <laughs> uh, but yeah i'll take credit just in case can't hurt. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway. Mm-hmm. What else is happening? Do we have questions from the people? Also, we, we didn't have any topics, but we've been rambling for hours. No, it feels like we've been rambling. Topics for... keeps us down. It seems I'm like. flies when you're having fun. Or without Laurent, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we don't have any questions this week. I wasn't sure when we were going to record. because The busy schedules everyone has. Incredibly busy. Yeah, people right. can, ju- can just ask random questions. I've made a drawing correspondent chess. Should that interest anybody? I won a blitz tournament in Thailand. A rated blitz tournament. I played terrible. Rated? Wow. Yeah. I'm sure I lost like 50 rating points or whatever you can lose. But I scored seven and a half out of nine um, in great, great fashion. I won that. And I won a simul against the same guys. But there I scored 19 and a half out of 20. So uh, I think uh, Simul is just better than Blitz. <laughs> okay. I mean, had Laurent been here, he would have asked how much uh, money did you win in this Blitz tournament? 1,000 baht in drinks. That's, I don't know, 30 euros, I guess. That's pretty good. And uh, they gave me a Mac, Marimeko Mac. Those are expensive, so that's probably another 30 euros. Um, <coughs> yeah. Time well spent. It's good that you said you won the simul because like losing a simul can be pretty. Depressing. Yeah, that's a bit embarrassing. They might question your credentials. But <laughs> that's happened. You know, I I scored much more points against this more or less the same players in the simul than the blitz, so that doesn't speak well for my three plus two blitz skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been my chess activity. Not bad. Rolling, but sorry, you drew a correspondence game. I drew a correspondence game and. Uh... Well, just to give an idea of the excitement level, I was a bit upset that he offered a draw because he had a king and uh, two pawns and I had a king and a knight. I was kind oh. of hoping that we could play down to bare kings. But well, I thought also when I have the knight, he offers a draw. It's a bit rude to refuse, right? Um, so yeah, I, I reluctantly could, took, took the draw. But uh, that's the, the excitement level there. But I, I like correspondence. It's a nice social experience. I mean, you make the move that Stockfest suggests and then you chat a bit on the side and such. It's, it's very... It's the no. definition of a social activity, of course. It is, yeah. No, it's not. It's true. My, yep. One one watch. message every three days and never seeing your opponent's face. That's... No, no. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, fair enough. Sounds like my, my, I don't know, I don't have a Tinder profile. But, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I haven't played NHS. I'm waiting for the ratings to be adjusted so that I can take advantage, hopefully, and, I don't know, win some points, maybe? Okay, guys, enough rambling. Thank you so much for listening to this week's emergency, but not really emergency, episode of the Chicken Chess Club podcast. We will continue working very hard on bringing you content every two till six weeks whenever schedules match, which is never. Maybe we'll also push our exciting secret YouTube project, which yeah, will stay exciting and secret for a while. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us on what's it called now X. Follow us on X. No, it's Twitter. Don't, don't ever Twitter? say that. Don't ever say that there. Still Twitter. X. Okay. No. Follow us on Twitter. I don't know what the account is, but I'm sure we have one. Everywhere else, subscribe to stuff and so on and so forth. Next week there will be a 27 minute feeder segment by Peter and Mr. Dodgy, maybe you can do your finally you do your solo podcast when Laurent keeps crashing the World Cup after he beat Giri and Abdul Satorov moving on to play Magnus. I don't think he will have time to talk to us. No, they will, but uh, who knows? Hopefully. <laughs> we'll see. Best of luck, Laurent. Keep in there, yeah. Good luck, Laurent. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.